podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're back with another episode of Below the Belt. Uh, there's still no boxing, um, but there does seem to be some little chinks of light about perhaps Eddie Hearn having it in his back garden. I'm joined today by Flav from The Fighting Cock. How are you, bud? I'm really good. Um, how come, if there isn't uh, a difference between UFC and the WWE, um, fuck, UFC and, uh, and boxing, is yeah. they, they've just got on with it. Just stick them yeah. in the ring. Test them, get them in the ring. Yeah. But yeah. uh, it's not happening in boxing. That's it. Yeah, none of the other. No, well, football's just just been announced to come back on the seventeenth of June, but uh, Premier League football anyway. But um, it's because spectators yeah. are so so important, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I th- yeah, they are, and it's yeah. With Premier League football, it's about TV money, isn't it? It's completely runs Premier League football TV money. They're absolutely obsessed with it. Um, the owners are, but yeah, I got to admire Eddie Hearn. I know you admire him anyway, Flav. Um, but you've got to admire his entrepreneurial spirit and thinking, do you know what? I'll put on a show in my garden. So what is this? What is it? I, I saw some mock-ups of uh, some uh, a uh, like a building that he's going to put together to house some sort of boxing event. Is that is that a real thing? Yeah, it's at the Matchroom HQ, I think. And yeah, they've got some land and they're putting on, they're just going to put together a little mini venue where they can put on boxing matches. And, and I think it's going to be white Povetkin that's going to be one of the first shows that if, if, Povetkin, if Povetkin can get over, if they can get him over, that's the thing. If they yeah. can get Povetkin over here. Um, they could probably get special dispensation for individuals as long as they're tested. And... Yeah. Yeah. If they can get him and his team over, um, I don't know what it's been like if he's in Russia. I don't even know if he's in Russia, but I don't know if they've had many cases in Russia. Um, but they've, yeah, it sounds like they're going to try and put on White versus Povetkin, and they're going to put it on pay per view, um, and with, amongst some other fights as well. The Katie Taylor Amanda Serrano fight is going to be in Eddie Hearn's back garden as well. And are they going to have a, a, a small crowd there or no one? I don't think they're going to have any crowd there. It's going to just How do you be think that will go. I, I suppose for for the fighters, the ones that have got an extensive amateur background shouldn't be too put off by it mm. because they would be used to fighting. But I imagine it would feel like a spa mm. in a, for a lot of them when you, all you can hear is your corner. Although that'd be interesting because corners aren't supposed to shout instructions. Yes, yeah, not they're not allowed until they get into. They're the not ring. supposed to. They're only supposed to do it in between rounds. They obviously do it all the time, but they get away with it because every fucker in the crowd shouts instructions. Yeah, it's almost um, like they won't be able to hear it anyhow. But now with no crowd, if if the trainer is shouting instructions, are you going to see more referees pulling them up on it? What's that rule about? Do you think why aren't they allowed to give instructions? Uh, what difference does it make? Surely, surely they should be able to coach their fighters through the fight. Yeah, you would think so. You'd think so. I'm not sure what, what that's about. I'll have to look that up. I'm not sure what it's about, really. But it's just something that the rule is... Like, and you notice it as well when 
someone spits their gum shield out and then they walk over to the corner and they put the gum shield out and it, when they try to say something the ref will go shut up shut up don't say anything mm. like i guess it's i guess it's an olden time rule we have to look it up it's just perhaps it's just something from back back in the day i'll look it up and perhaps we'll talk about it next time okay um so yeah we've been doing like obviously there's no boxing so we've been talking about uh you know myself and paul zanon did a pod about barrera morales and uh myself and t just did one on james de gale and uh me and you spoke about david hay and we were chatting the other day and we kind of decided to talk about carl frotch yes um why was that why did you want to talk about him in particular i i think in the towards the end of his career he became a bit of a uh i'm not gonna say a joke but because of that you know you know you're knocking out George Groves, Wembley yeah. Stadium, in front of 80,000 people, which I think was the record ever uh, attendance at a fight in the UK. At the time, uh, yeah. Exactly, yeah. and Joshua sort of beat it when he fought Klitschko. But yeah. um, he, he, I, I always I, I felt a little bit uneasy about it. Now, it's probably because he wasn't well-liked, well and we're going to talk about that. But what he achieved in the ring, almost no professional fighters are able to you're talking about certain in, in terms of british level a handful of of super middleweights maybe 10 or 11 uh, achieved the kind of heights that he did mm. you know there, there, there are a lot of super middleweights that uh, in britain because that seems to be the the size that we're best at in in you know if you think we produce more super middleweights at a world class level than probably any other division as far as I can it's quite a young division super middleweight right it only really came around I believe it was the late 80s early 90s um but we've had sugar some great Ray... great fighters in there do you know what I mean Frotch yeah you've got we've done brilliant like we we as a country the UK have produced a lot of super middleweight world champions it'd be interesting to see what the numbers are on that the countries that have produced the most champions in what ways and i think the uk would be up there in a super middleweight division considering it is quite a young division and considering with all the the sanctioning bodies and the, the splintering of the titles i imagine we've got quite a few yeah um, i just feel like he he it just left left, left left a sour taste in my mouth somewhat and and yeah. it's kind of that's what he's remembered for and he and and, and you know he's courted that as well because he's he's outspoken he's constantly given opinions he's worked on sky mm. sports because he he talks well and he doesn't to be to his credit and that's what you want to hear from a color commentator is someone who doesn't pull their punches it's, you know mm. the, the, we want we want the we want these fighters to be honest and say mm. what they think because it creates conversation you don't want to straight back you don't want a colour commentator to straight bat everything. It's it's boring. And when he gives his interviews to I feel and elsewhere, he's always yeah. very honest about what he says. And and I, and I guess the problem is with his honesty is that it doesn't kind of fit in with most most people's opinion, or they don't want to hear the way he has to say it. But I just feel like if you if you look at his career, he deserves more credit than than he gets. And and his and his comments about the Gross fight kind of overshadow that. And and I think some people forget, really, how how well he handled Groves in that second fight. Mm. Um, Groves was in within it was in the fight for sure, yeah. But it, it, it was never really in 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 much doubt, in my opinion. And and that's yeah. coming from someone who absolutely adores George Groves. Um, so yeah, I, I just think in uh, I just feel like that that's he's he's been he's getting to a stage where he's remembered for the wrong things. Um, 
and you know if you go back at the start of his career it's it's interesting to talk through it yeah no i think it is as well and it's quite it's almost topical because um frotch and groves are, are at it again they've been having a little spat on twitter and on social media it's and the stuff. same conversation though isn't it it's always the same it's like been- yeah it's really boring now groves thinks he could have you know, he could have beat Froch. That he he said. I remember after he fought uh, Rebras at Wembley Arena, and it was after the second loss to to Froch. He said, "I still think I can beat you." Um, I, I I think if they would have fought ten times, I think Groves might have won two. Yeah, maybe. Agreed. Um, I think Groves might have boxed to a plan and stayed away from him, and maybe won a decision a couple of times. But the thing with Carl Froch and just to you know if we're going to talk about his strengths here I think his biggest biggest strength was his engine he was a really fit guy and he walked around at close to the 12 stone mark yeah. all the time he was really particular about his training uh, I remember in the build-up to the second fight he spoke a lot about his little black book with all of his times he would time his runs and stuff he would do runs and then time them. And he was saying something about, oh, my times are much better this fight than this first fight. And I think George Groves took the piss out of him and said, oh, look at you, you nerdy little book, writing your times in and all of that. And uh, I think it's, yeah, I think he was a guy that was always in brilliant shape. And that was what won him the first fight. Um, but there's obviously a lot of other, I think the the, the best way to start it, Flav, is when, do you, when did you first start to notice Frunch? Um, I, I, it's hard to know exactly when the first fight was. Uh, mm. I'm looking back at his record now. Mm. Um, and the first fight that really sticks in the head is the Brian McGee fight. Okay. Uh, because of the way it ended. It, it was, um, if I remember rightly, an absolutely horrible uppercut, which just reduced McGee to nothing. He, he just mm. crumbled, his knees went, and he didn't move for about five minutes. He had gas and air. Uh, mm. It was it was terrible and and um, terrible. It was boxing, but it was yeah. it was uh, it wasn't good to watch. And Frotch didn't show a great deal. And I might be remembering this wrong, but I'm pretty sure he didn't show a great deal of remorse or care for McGee. He may have done something like tapped him, but in the interview, what I was expecting as someone who didn't really understand boxing as I know it now, mm. um, or, or pretend to know now, is um, I was I was kind of shocked by that. I was expecting him to be not talk about his skill and where where what his ceiling was and what he was going to do with boxing, but yeah. but but talk about the fact that Brian McGee was in trouble. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I watched a few of these fights before then, um, right? And I remember that he's being described. The commentators helped him a lot because they described they they almost um, they always created a vernacular around his style. And remember, there's this word, and I might be getting it wrong, but it was a, his rapier style. Does that, does that? Yes, yes. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, like, yes, that does ring a bell. So yes. He, as, and I've never heard that with anybody, other boxers. And it, may no. be, it may be a common phrase, I don't know, but it, it stuck with me. I think it was Jim Watt that would talk about it. Yeah. And uh, and, and maybe Nicky Piper. But the it, I remember thinking, that's cool. That sounds cool. I don't know what it yeah. means, but it sounds cool. And he would fight. He was one of the first boxers from starting watching it regularly on on Sky Sports. Uh, it, he was he fight with his hands down often. His hand, mm. his, his hands in certainly that low a, left hand, low left hand. But also at times he'd have both his hands down. You saw Hay do that later on, and Froch, yeah. uh, Groves would, would fight often with one hand quite low. 
but mm. but he he would it seemed he was he was it was he was clear that he was levels above right it was yeah. clear that he was destined to 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 do great things um so he had that the arrogance and then he had this this like strange commentary a bubble around him in talking about his uh his style of fighting and he'd get clocked but it wouldn't it seemed to he seemed to brush off big punches and he's mm. you know good looking chin would look like granite yeah and uh, was like granite and uh i i think that there's not much when you're watching fighting at a domestic level yeah and as as boxing fans we can watch domestic level fighting and enjoy it mm. for what it is you know this is two good honest pros some you know they're at domestic level and they're going to have a good dust up and you see great fights at domestic level yeah that would be that would could fit on any main event show Mm. But because of their skill level and the fact that they don't perhaps don't have the charisma, they never get to that next point or they get exposed to every time they step up. But it was clear with Groves that he was sorry, Froch, he was something else. And it was mm. around that level, that, that, that finish, the Brian McGee uh, uppercut, I think. I'm gonna look it on YouTube when you talk next, but he, I remember he, his hands were down, he just he he, he he tilted to the right if I remember right and just put this uppercut in. Yeah. And he saw the venom in his face as he landed it. And, you know, as someone who was in, getting into boxing and really starting to understand it at that point, yeah. he was fascinating to me. Yeah. Uh, so first thing, rapier is a type of sword. Wow. So I've, just looked, I've just looked this up. And, uh, yeah, it's a, a type of sword with a slender and sharp, sharply pointed two-edged blade. So I guess what Jim Watt was referring to was kind of like his long limbs, I guess, because he was he had really long arms for his height. Yeah. And he held it low and it was long and his jab was really good. And I remember I was never really particularly impressed of his jab until the second Kessler fight, which was quite late in his career. But in the second Kessler fight, he uses the jab really, really well. And it probably was the, 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 the main shot that kind of won in the fight in that. He really just completely out-jabbed. Uh, and the second gross fight, to be fair, as well. He used the jab really well. But yeah, rapier is a type of sword. The, the first the first time I remember seeing Carl Froch was the Robin Reed fight. And in my head, I thought it was on ITV um, because he did have a period where he boxed on ITV. He won the world title for the first time on ITV. That's um, right, yeah. He was, he, was, it, he was with uh, Hennessy for a while, wasn't he? Yes, he was, yeah. I think he started out with Hennessy. I think that was where he kind of made his career. Um, you know, he boxed Charles Adamu, who was someone that, that kind of been around the Commonwealth title level. I've just no noticed here, looking at Boxer, he won the British title outright, which is, you don't really... Guys like him that are destined to go on to great things, they don't really win the British title outright. They usually win it and then fuck it off and go and, and try and get to the next level. But I guess because he's with Mick Hennessy, he had to stick around at British level. And he boxed good people, Tony Dodson, Brian McGee. You know, he boxed people that, that had a name um, at good level and enabled to defend, defend the British title. And if I'm just looking at here, he's made more than three defences, so he would have won it outright, which is really good. But that was the first time I remember watching him, was watching him box Robin Reed. Robin, he stopped Robin Reed. I think Robin Reed quit on his stall at the end of the fifth round. And uh, that was the first time I saw him. And he became he started to appear on my radar because he was really calling out Joe Calzaghe. Yeah, he did that early on. Yeah. He? Yes, he did. He did do that really early on. And he was doing that at a time where he was British on, and Commonwealth champion. And at the same time, Joe Calzaghe was the 
the world champion was the undisputed world champion when he beat robin reed a month before a month later joe kazaki boxed at the at the millennium stadium and won the undisputed or at least three portions of the of the super middleweight title so i remember watching who, the time who thinking, was that against that was against Mikel Kessler. Uh, oh, he the, beat uh, Mikel Kessler on that one. Yeah, right. yeah. So Carl Froch beat Robin Reed, and then I think it was a month later, Joe Calzaghe beat Mikel Kessler. So though, those two were in completely different levels, and that was that was why Carl Froch start. I started to notice him because I thought this guy is a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> I just yeah. thought, why are you talking about the guy that's the undisputed or has won three portions of the middleweight title when you're the fucking Commonwealth champion on the British title? It was, it was really, really funny to me and weird to me. And I thought this guy is a bit of a dickhead. Well, the thing is uh, with him is that, that that's a tactic used by lots of fighters. If we talked to yeah. pre- talked about previously we, that yeah. you always get that, you always get that. And it, and if they're using it as a tactic to boost their career or boost their uh, popularity or their uh, people's knowledge of them, then I kind of get it. I uh, fair enough, but for, for him, he was like, "No, no, I actually will beat him. It, I'm, I can do this. I would do this if I was given the opportunity." Whereas other boxers are just like they say it, knowing that they're never going to get the fight. In, in the same way, like Devon Haney and the kid, and is it Joe Laws from Newcastle? Yeah, like they sparred each other like back in a yeah. couple of years ago. Joe Laws was went in hungover, and apparently. Did he said he handled him, didn't he? Did yeah. Some good work. On, I remember that on Devin Haney. Now Devin Haney and Joe Laws could never be in the ring together. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Ah. But 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 Joe Laws is using Devin Haney's name to get traction, and it's working. So I understand mm. it. it's a great tactic. It should be used because any advantage that a boxer can get to propel their career forward in mm. a sport that's so dangerous and difficult to make money in, then they should do it, especially if it's not harming you in any way I mean it might harm you down the road if you manage to actually get in the ring with Devin Haney but um yeah, yeah so you don't you don't you don't, you don't mind it but when but when you listen to Froch it was like no shit this guy believes it and do you know really I mean when Calzaghe was on his crusade of ending legends I remember him talking yeah. about that where he just uh-huh. fought loads of people that were more or less over the hill or yeah, shouldn't been. It was a waste of time. It was a money maker and that, and I get mm. it. But from for boxing fans, you'd love to see Froch, a young Froch, take on Calzaghe. He would have got beaten, yeah. but 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 I would have loved to have seen it. Or, or would he? Would like? Would he have been able to walk through his his slaps? It's would a he... it's a good question, isn't it? I know it's something we we've debated about in the WhatsApp group, and uh, it is a good question. Prime for prime, you know. Say you take. Carl Froch when he beat Kessler the second time, right? That Carl Froch, yep. seasoned guy that's been world champion, that's won fights, lost fights, you know, elite level Carl Froch. And then you take the Joe Calzaghe, say, that beat Jeff Lacey. Is that fair? Is that his prime? Probably not because he had biscuit hands then, but he always had biscuit hands. Who yeah, wins? but if you look at that, yeah, in terms of their elite performances, it would be the Jeff Lacey performance. But then you don't know because Jeff Lacey was completely exposed. I think he fought mm. once again after after that fight and you never heard from him again. But it was a masterclass. Um, who wins? I think Calzaghe would have beat him. I think Calzaghe had a good enough chin. I think he was tough enough. And I think he just would have outworked him. I think it would have been similar to the Kessler fight. I think, I think he just would have out- really struggled to, to, to land properly. Mm. I think he would have struggled with the pace that the, the Calzaghe would have set. I think he would have struggled with the hand speed 
he struggled with Darrell's hand speed. He struggled with George Groves' hand speed at times. Yeah. Um, I, I think he would have struggled with that. And I think Kawasaki, if he both of his hands would have stayed intact, then and even then he probably would have carried on punching anyway because that was the kind of guy he was. I think Kawasaki just would have outworked him. I don't. I, I know we talk about this all, and I, I, I feel like I've asked this question so many times in the WhatsApp group. But how, how yeah. did Kawasaki get away with punching the way he did? I think you've got to. I think. I think in the UK, I think they were just used to it, and that's. It's always been my beef with like British officials is that there's so few elite level officials, and they do all the fights. They do all the all the fights of any note over here, be it a British title or a world title fight. It's those same five or six guys, yeah. and I think they become too. I think British boxing in general is just too pally. I think there's not there, there's not enough. There's it's just too pally. It's too friendly. There's I think the board need to become more of a board and separate themselves. And I think the the referees back then they all knew Joe Kazagi. They refereed all his fights. They he was the draw. He was the guy, and they were so used to watching him slap that he just they just got used to watching him slap. I think that uh, it, because he was the money draw, he was the best super middleweight in in the world at the time. Yeah. It would have taken a ballsy, ballsy ref to yeah. say you need to start punching properly, knowing full well that Kawasaki couldn't without breaking his hands. Yeah. So, and and just kind of allowed it. And if anybody doesn't know, if you recently watched boxing or you're just interested in this podcast, go and have a look at Kawasaki. I'd say Kawasaki versus Lacey. He was slapped a lot in that. And yeah. what, what that means is that you're not hitting the guys with your knuckles so much yeah. as you're hitting them with the sides, the insides of your hands. Yes. And Kawasaki did this because his hands were so brittle that if he had punched them straight using his yeah. knuckles, he he would have he would have probably broke his hands beyond repair. I like for, in terms of boxing sense, and probably would have even disabled himself going forward. So it would have been the end of his yeah. career. And so yeah. what happened is that a lot of bo- uh, he he would go into fights and he'd throw what are considered to be and which is why i asked this question is illegal punches you're not allowed to yeah. cuff your opponent mm. and that's it seemed to be what he was doing unless he, he was somehow turning his his fist at the last moment and was landing a punch it's hard to yeah. tell but I, I think you're right he did get a lot of leeway and yeah. you know i i don't mind it because i really enjoyed watching him fight even in the, the latter part of his career you know so it was it was fine it was just i i just wondered you know, before, no one before, seems to have an answer other than just speculating that it was like a pally thing. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I think with 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 uh, did you you said about you know when he didn't fight Carl Froch that he went to America? Did him fighting like Hopkins and Roy Jones offend you at all? I just I get annoyed. I get annoyed when I see fights happen and there is no contest involved. And you make you'll get great fighters move up two to eight divisions to fight the best in the world, and it's almost not worth watching it because you know the result. And specifically, mm. I'm talking about Amir Khan fighting Canelo and Brooke fighting Golovkin. It, mm. They neither of those should have been in the ring with the other person because their skill level meant that they were already at, devan- at a disadvantage. But the size the yeah. discrepancy meant that it was impossible. And, yeah. you know, they held their own. Khan was watching, we might have won, you know, might have been winning the fight up until the point where he got absolutely obliterated, which was yeah. inevitable. Yeah. And then Brooke, oh, he's doing, he was doing all right, but he broke his eye socket because you're in with someone you shouldn't be in with. Yeah. And, 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 and it, it, it does offend me, actually, because it's, 
fucking dangerous and risky and both fighters have never recovered really from that and yeah. and they could have had a great fight together anyway that so so him going over there in the twilight or the towards the end of his career and making a big deal out of how about beating fighters that were over the hill yeah it is i think it's the hopkins just like, fight was fine what i was gonna I say think the hopkins fight was fine calzaghi and hopkins was i was fine. so I, I, I agree with you i just uh, like, it was close it was close and it but Hopkins went on to yes, the, that win really aged well, didn't it? It, it really aged well because Hopkins went on to win the light heavyweight title again and defend it multiple times. But the Roy Jones fight, and I agree with you, the Roy Jones fight, I remember sitting there, watch, I watched it live. I think I went to my brother's and watched again, a Satanta fight. It was another one of those that was on Satanta. And I watched it and I thought, this is a fucking joke. Roy Jones is completely shot. He's completely shot to bits. And Kawasaki, do you remember Kawasaki had his arms like by his side and was putting his head up in between his guard and was just uh, taking the piss out? Yeah, of him. his tongue was out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. and I thought to myself, if this would have been at light heavyweight when Roy Jones was a light heavyweight before he went up to heavyweight, he would have fucking smashed you to bits in three rounds. Yes, like Roy Jones, peak Roy Jones, fucking smashes everybody. Peak, middleweight between middleweight and cruiserweight, he smashes fucking number everybody. one for sure. Number one for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, but 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 my, my point with with Hopkins is when he, he he'd had a long career before yeah. he, he met um, he met Kawasaki and he, yeah. he changed his style significantly later on to, in order to win fights. Yeah, and I don't think he knocked I don't think he knocked anyone out. I don't I I can't remember him knocking anyone out in the latter part of his career. I haven't looked on Boxrec, but I don't remember knock, him knocking anyone out for for ages. So. Um, you know, he adapted. He used. He knew his age. He, he used ring general, ring ring generalship, yeah. and uh, and and his IQ, boxing IQ, to and it was that was imp- impeccable, he, and it probably still is to this day, and mm. that's why he went on to get his success. But 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 to the point where he was fighting Kawasaki, when Kawasaki was at his very peak of his powers, mm. he wasn't fighting the Hopkins that knocked out De La Hoya. No, so. So, so, so I just felt like it was, it was about the money, and I'm contradicting myself because it should be about the money. You should go out and earn as much as you want in terms of this yeah. sport. But yeah, I, 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 one fight, a little fight against Froch would have would have would have made things a lot. Yeah, easier. I think if he'd have beat Froch, it probably would have done more for him in terms of his reputation. I think it was a little bit cheap. I, I think on an earlier podcast he put a couple of years ago actually when we were still recording at bull street i compared amir khan to highlander and i said that he was trying to highlander his way to a legacy so i said he thinks that if i beat floyd then i consume all of floyd's achievements <laughs> yeah. and like highlander and i kind of feel like that's what kawasaki was doing he thought well if i beat Roy Jones, I'm Roy Jones. Like I soak up all of his powers and all of his achievements, then become mine because I beat him. And it was a little bit. It was a little bit cheap. Um, so I get your point. I do get your point. Just for and a record, we, I think Amir Khan would have caused Mayweather problems. I think he would have caused him problems. I think, but I think Floyd's just—he would have adapted. He would have. He just knows too much. I just think he would have gripped him up. Probably would have got him out of there in the later rounds. Uh, and he doesn't get stoppages. But anyway, um, so if we talk about Froch, we've been talking about Joe Kazagi and Floyd Mayweather Jr. Um, there we go. But that's what—that's fine. That's fine. That's what we do best, Flav, isn't it? We well, like a- and then, uh, but look, I mean, we 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 stopped talking about him, uh, Robin Reed. 
yeah. uh, and then uh, but but it was from that point where he's yeah his legacy was was really started to to be created and and Carl Foch's journey to this point where he fought Reed uh mm. what was that for that was for the Commonwealth British title I think British right title. and he'd had lots of fights maybe 19 20 yeah and you think Carl, Carl Foch won it I mean uh, and George Groves won it at six fights it took him the 20th to win that's for uh, Robin Reed was for the British super middleweight title Yes, he, so, did. he had the WBC title. Ah, uh, right. Sorry, I'm just looking at some point, At some point. He, to yeah, be fair, actually, have. I made a mistake. He won the Commonwealth against Charles Adamu. Adamu yeah. And, yeah. Um, but still, look, he, it took a long time for him to finally get the recognition. Recognition. I think a massive part of that was being under Hennessy. Um, yeah. uh, I always thought when, when he was under Hennessy that he, he was kind of wasting his time. And the same, yeah. same with Fury. It just it's, mm. it, 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 he doesn't bring his fighters along quickly enough because I guess he fears losing them. But yeah, um, yeah so it was the uh, from from I don't remember Albert Rybaki. The only reason I remember that fight is because it was on the undercard of Junior Witter against Timmy Bradley, and I'd never heard of Timmy Bradley. I don't think many people over here had. No, and I, he came over to England, bashed and he, him up, and he bashed up Junior Witter. He dropped him and won a decision i think it might have been a majority decision i, split I remember decision. that i remember that i remember th- watching at home <laughs> and he won and that was i that and carl Foch was on the undercard of that but it was after that he got his world first world title fight against jean pascal who no is mug. No, jean pascal is still a champion today he's a bad man he's still like i forgot he recently beat badu jack and he's the wba regular champion so like, that, now yeah now so look, that that it's aged incredibly well that 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 yeah. victory. Yeah, yeah. There was um, Jean Pascal, and then obviously the probably the most impressive, not performance, but the most impressive victory in his career, which was the to 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 to, to he had to go over to fight Jermaine Taylor uh-huh. uh, for the WBC. That's right. First defense. Sorry, it my was, bad. I thought he was going over to fight for that. So he, he no. Won. So John Pascal was with the vacant title. He won the vacant title, and that was I think it was in Nottingham. I think you know, he won that over here. Right. I'm, I, I remember this wrong because I thought, and I've said this on the previous podcast that 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 Froch went over there to take the belt. Maybe people, was, a lot of people get mixed up. They think that the Taylor fight was part of the World Boxing Super Six. That it was the Super Six, but it wasn't. It was the fight before Darrell. The Darrell fight was the first fight of that tournament. No, I, I remember that, but I do. I and I um I remember the Super Six and 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 absolutely loved it. Yeah. Uh, but we, we we can talk about that. But but the um yeah I I I do you know what I didn't? It, you thought Taylor was for the title? Yeah, in my head, that's how I remember it, and and and, right. and that's probably why I romanticise about it so much because he, I thought like he stripped the title from in the right, last 11 right, seconds right. and to be fair he did because he was losing that fight uh mm. he's gone into jermaine taylor's backyard to take mm. a second defense to go over and fight him it is it, yeah. bold like, the money must have been insane mm. and he must so have this is, this is taylor him. taylor taylor was the undisputed middleweight champion he defended it a few times he then lost to kelly pavlik twice moved up to super middle beat jeff lacy and then fought carl froch okay and the pub, uh, the the ghost was no joke. Oh, Kelly Pavlik's bad man. T loves him. He's one of T's favorites. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I know we're not talking. We can't go on about another fighter, but the uh, no. But but Pavlik, if you, if you want to watch an absolute dust up, Pavlik versus Miranda, 
Um, oh, yeah. Mate, yeah. An insane yeah. fight. Anyway, Miranda was a bad man. He was. There were two bad men. It wasn't Miranda the guy that broke off Abraham's jaw. Yes. His jaw was like fucked. Yes, yes, yes. Bad man, bad man. Yeah, so um, he's, he's beaten Taylor. He's won. He, he's established himself as probably the... the well, uh, he's got to be in the top two um, uh, in the world at that time. Yeah. Just, be- he, it's just him and be- Kessler, isn't it? It's him and Kessler. And that, that probably takes us into the Super 6 now, doesn't it? Right. So what the Super 6 was a tournament where they took the best at the start, the best, yeah. the top six fighters in the super middleweight division and, and yeah. paired them off in a, in, a, in, a, in a tournament, like a knockout tournament, similar to the uh, World Boxing Super Series. It was kind of like a round robin. So they had two groups of three and I think they had three Europeans and three Americans, if I remember rightly. They had Taylor, Ward, and Durrell as the Americans. And then they had Arthur Abraham, who was moving up from middleweight and was the bookie's favourite at the start. I remember that. Wow. Kesler and Froch. Arthur Abraham was smashing everybody in middleweight. Yeah. Yeah. I always liked him as well. Anyway, um, so he was in, in this tournament. And then you, you realised it was it was real. And, and, you, and, and this is part of the reason why... Froch's resume looks so impressive from this point yeah. onwards is because every he was contracted to fight whoever he needed to fight in this tournament. There was no ducking. And that's what's so great about the mm-hmm. Super Series is there yeah. isn't any ducking. These boxers have gone in there. They've been given good money and they're fighting each other. And there's no politics. Everyone's agreed. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with the Super Six. And it's the first time I'd been aware of anything like this happening like in, in yeah. terms of boxing. So yeah, he, he uh, in order to win it, he had to, he had to fight some some top 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 fighters and yes he did a couple of them pulled out i remember a guy called green had to come in yes Can't yes remember his name he got now. smoked by michael kesler shouldn't have he? been in there really but they need alan to... green was it ah, yeah that rings a bell it rings a bell but yeah the, the, these best fighters got in there and he he did he did okay a, a bit somewhat controversial win in his first fight wasn't it against Darrell? yes very close I would say at the time when I watched it that Darrell beat him. That's that was my feeling. Yeah, I remember being a quite, lot of people felt like that. Quite gutted, and he got the the the, the decision, which I was happy about. But um, I feel yeah. like he got beat there. But uh, you know, karma's a bitch because you see what an arsehole the Darrells are. Just, the Darrells are not nice people. Oh, mate, they're not, and uh, especially I think it was Andre Darrell when he fought he fought Arthur Abrams and pretended to. Like yes. get a no contest or wasn't it or a disqualification because yeah he got a disqualification yeah he pretended to have a fit or some shit on the floor and it, yeah, it's he, clear that he was he was fine yeah anyway 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 so yeah he, he goes in this tournament and does really well yeah he like he 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 squeaks by Darrell then he lost to Kesler in Denmark and I remember watching the Kesler fight on a dodgy stream because it was on I think it was on Prime Time do you remember that channel Prime Time. I think it still exists now. I think they're the ones that bought Box Nation. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't on ITV. It wasn't on Sky. It wasn't on anything normal or Satanta. It was on this weird thing called Primetime, if I remember rightly. And he lost a close decision to, to Kesler. And he blamed, I think he blamed the Volcanic Ash. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I don't. Proch said, oh, the Volcanic Ash fucked me up because I couldn't fly over till really late. Uh, and right. he blamed the volcanic ash for for basically him losing to to Kesler. But it was a close fight. But he did lose. He lost the fight. Um, and yeah. that was banging fight then, though. It was it was a really, yeah, it was a good fight, a really good fight. And I want to come on to the second fight, but we need to talk about yeah. that a little bit because it's, it's one of my fondest memories. 
Um, mm. But yeah, go on. Uh, yeah, so he's he, he loses to Kessler. He loses to Kessler close. That was so that would have been for his WBC title. He lost that, but then he ended up. I think Kessler got a really bad cut because Kessler lost to Andre Ward. Um, he lost. He lost to Andre Ward. Got a really bad cut, and then uh, and then had to Kessler pulled out. Yeah. So then the WBC belt became vacant. And then Froch fought Arthur Abraham for that in the third in the in his third tournament fight. So, so because, what, was the, what was the time difference between that? As soon as the cut has happened, yeah, was it a part of the contract agreement inside the Super Six? I'm not sure that you would know this, but I'm guessing here. I'm I'm, I'm making an assumption yeah. that he was forced to vacate it. That there wasn't an interim title created. Because, I think they they set. If you're the, injured, you have to give it up. Yeah, it's like. It's it's like kind of like the Super Series now, and I'm pretty sure the Sourlands were really involved in in this tournament as well, right? Because uh, and they obviously do the Super Series now, but I'm quite sure that they were a big big part of that as well, the Super Six. Yeah, and I imagine they would have already had a date set for the final, for the semi-finals, mm. and so if they've got these dates set, and then they can't they can't then. Um, go back on that because you've got a cut. And after the Carl Froch fight, he didn't fight for 14 months, Kessler. Um, it was a really bad cut he got against Ward. And then it's it opened on the up eyebrow. again. Yeah, it was really bad. He got it against Ward. Lost his WBA title to Ward. I remember that. And then um, he ended up fighting Froch, but the cut opened again and it was really bad. And so he had to he had to not box for like 14 months. And yeah. Because he, he had to pull out, that gave Froch another chance to win his title back against Arthur Abraham. Now, he was he was the underdog in this fight against Abraham. And I remember watching that and he beat the shit out of Abraham. He didn't yeah. hurt him, but he just, he boxed, he beat him 12 rounds to nil on two cards. Like he completely swept, swept the cards and just dominated Arthur Abraham. And like I said already, Arthur Abraham was the bookie's favourite. Going into that fight and in the tournament as well, uh, because he do you remember do you remember him knocking out Taylor really late as well? Uh, yes, he, I do. Yeah, that, that, that's I think where my obsession with skinny guys and gassed legs go. Because yes, he, he, yes, he, he did. He got beat by Abraham as well. Yeah, he gassed really late and got knocked out by Abraham um, again when he, in a fight he was doing quite well in. But yeah, he got knocked out as well. Um, and then so because he beat. He beat Arthur Abraham. He beat Kezar. Then he beat Glenn Johnson. Yeah. Uh, he was another late substitute. He came in, beat uh, Glenn Johnson. Again, decent fight, but he won comfortably. Um, and that got him to the final. What do you remember about the final, him and Andre Ward? Uh, the build-up, stuff like that. Uh, so I remember um, I remember Gloves Are Off. Uh, I think it was called that at the time, where they were, were talking to each other at the... I think it would have been... Um, Johnny Nelson, you know, in his position and, and they're just slagging each other off, which I, I don't like that, by the way. I don't like that format. I hate it, in fact. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. I can't watch them. Because yeah. um, it's always very, very forced and mm. I think it gives someone an an advantage that they wouldn't necessarily have. Right. Like, I'm thinking directly at Josh Warrington and Lee Selby. Lee Selby isn't... He's not a talker. He just does his shit in the ring. He's actually mm. comes across as a pretty decent human being. Josh Warren just reveled in that situation. I think Josh Warren got in his head so much that it affected the fight. And I don't think that's necessary to to give one fighter an an advantage over the other because they can talk more. Anyway, um, so I'm not a massive um, fan of it, but I remember it 
and you know it, that you know that's you know that was it really I kind of just watched it awkwardly and then they got in the ring and Andre Ward did what he would have done to Carl Froch every single yeah. time regardless of how many times they fought despite yeah. what Carl Froch says uh, and just yeah, handled him as he did, every, he did. as he did yeah. everyone really apart from um, that one fight against what's his face Kovalev yeah the first fight first fight was a close fight um, yeah yeah, I remember. I remember watching that, and I remember there was a lot of a lot of people thought that Ward would just get on his bike and just try to outbox him and use his hand speed and just try to hit and move. And uh, it was in America, and I think yeah, it was in America. And I remember there was this, this perception that that Frotch would be too strong for him because he boxed so well against Arthur Abraham. He looked really good against Arthur Abraham, and he looked really good against Glenn Johnson. Everyone thought, right, okay, he's back. He's lost to Kesler. He's he had some trouble with Darrell, but he's back. Well, the key the key here is, mate, is look at the fighters he had trouble with previously: Jermaine Taylor and Darrell, who were yeah, slippery movers. slicksters, and. Um, were, were technicians. Andre yeah. Ward was all of those, both of those things, but also probably one of the most intelligent boxers, along with Hopkins and Mayweather yeah. that, that there's yeah. been. So, and I think people have this perception all wrong, about all wrong guys wrong. like that that aren't punchers, not really big, big punchers. I think there's a perception. It might be an African American thing where there's kind of a perception that they because they're not massive punchers that they're going to try to avoid you, that they're runners. I think there's a perception that they're runners, but Andre Ward, he's not a runner. I don't see him as that at all. He's a guy that will, he's a bit naughty. He'll get in a pocket with you and he'll give you a little shoulder and an elbow and yeah. he'll, he'll muse his head a bit, but he's not a runner. He'll meet you there. He'll meet you inside and he'll, he'll but what they'll do is he's, he's slippery and it's almost like James Tony's style, that slippery shoulder roll, yeah. very slick, avoid shots and, and clip you with his own shots. And that's and I remember watching it and thinking, and I liked Froch by then I've wanted Froch to win that fight. And he was made to look like a novice against Ward. He looked sluggish. He looked slow. He, he looked like he had no ideas. He's, he didn't even look like he hit hard. And the one thing you knew about Carl Foch was he's a puncher. He has very fudding power. When you, let, you, you see his shots. You, yeah. You hear his shots land on like arms and shoulders. You hear that fud. Like he's heavy handed. Like he's perhaps not a Gennady Golovkin heavy handed, but he's a really heavy handed guy. And he didn't even look like that in the ward fight. He was just completely taken out of his comfort zone and dominated. And, and it was, it, go well, on. Well, most fighters will get that. They will, they will find that person that they can't unpick mm. and they look like they will get exposed. And you think, oh God, this is it. But Andre Ward would have done that at that point to everybody. You didn't even know. I, I, I remember going into the fight that Andre Ward wasn't considered to be likely to take it. He was, maybe it was my ignorance back then, but I, I don't really remember thinking much about Andre Ward before the Super Six. And then we've since seen that through his career that he, you know, I mean, even it was him and Mayweather that were one and two pound for pound uh, for, for parts of the career that they crossed over. I think everybody agreed with that and, and I think part of the reason why he never got the the credit and the plaudits that he, he should have done and should do yeah. is because he was just a bit boring like God fearing you know he didn't yeah. he, he never slagged anyone off but what he did in the and his fighting style wasn't electrifying but 
it was brilliant. It was truly brilliant. And, um, you know, people who really, really do love boxing and love the technical aspect to it, mm-hmm. you've got to love him, man. It's the same with Mayweather. He's like, his mouth talked his, talked his career into existence and created the people, but his ability in the ring was second to none. And you and, and people thought, like my dad and people I know, uh, people what used to watch boxing the main events with, they would talk about, they would talk about Mayweather and they would talk about the Gale if we were, sorry, not the Gale, um, uh, Andre Ward if if they yeah. if they were fighting as this is boring this fight and so it's not boring this is they're doing things that most boxers can't do they're nullifying yeah. their opponent yeah. Um, yeah so he, he didn't get the credit and he did I mean he he, he beat it beat beat he beat he beat uh, Froch handedly and they, this is the part of the reason why people don't like Froch is that he he bangs on about something that simply isn't true that he had no chance no shot. Mm. Yeah, and, and that was it. He, he was very bitter about that, wasn't he? After losing to Andre Ward, he was very bitter. He didn't take it very well. And I think he was, in terms of mind games, he was beaten. He fought. I think he was just outsmarted by Ward absolutely, in the absolutely. ring and out of the ring. And I, and I think Froch, Froch came, but he always came across as quite insecure throughout his career. And I, and I think that really showed. It really showed after the Ward fight. He didn't, and even when Ward, you know, when when Froch retired and Ward was boxing a, a light heavyweight, and he in the Kovalev fights, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't ever say anything positive about Ward. No. And I think Ward really, really showed him up and it didn't do, it didn't do him any favors really Froch. Um, but, and he lost, he lost, he lost handily, but like a good champion, he came back in emphatic style. Oh mate, mate. Against Lucia Butte. Lucia Butte. And you know what? Talking of Andre Ward, after that fight, they had Lucian Butte ringside Lucian Butte, and I'll never forget it. At the time, he was tearing through everyone. He wasn't in the tournament, but and they did it on purpose. They kept him out of the tournament because they wanted him to fight the winner because he was doing big crowds in Canada. He was knocking people out. He used to find that really naughty uppercut to the body. He was a yeah. southpaw. Yeah. Do you remember he stopped Brian McGee to the body? Right fucking naughty body shot. Yeah. Um, he was really good fun to watch. He was great. And after, after the fight, he beat, he beat Carl Froch. And it's set up for him to fight Butte. Set up for Ward Butte, undisputed, you know, or close to undisputed title. This is it. And he said, oh, well, you know, uh, he, he, it looked like a duck, to be honest. I remember thinking at the time, oh, my God, Ward's ducking Butte. Like, he doesn't want to fight Butte. And I didn't he's, know that. Just, if you watch the interview, try and find the, the interview afterwards. And, yeah. he's, you know, it's... That sort of thing, you think they'd have had that signed, really? Like, the winner fights Butte, that's what's happening. It was on Showtime. Butte was signed to Showtime at the time. Um, and Ward Ward didn't want it. He, he he said something, and I thought, and I remember watching it thinking, oh, my God, you're fucking ducking Butte. Like, you're ducking him. Like, you don't want to fight him. Like, that should have been the fight. But credit to Froch, he took the fight. Yeah, I mean, he's, the balls ain't his issue. <laughs> Never yeah. been his issue. No. Uh, I remember, I remember that that fight, right? Because I've been out with my brothers where I live, got quite boozy, um, and we got home. We was trying to find, I don't know what it was, like some sort of stream. We just couldn't get it working on the telly. Yeah, um, my brother uh, managed to get it on his iPhone. Right, and there was eight of us around this iPhone watching watching this fight, uh, uh, watching Carl Froch brutally. Absolutely brutally dismantle um, Butte, and bearing in mind people were asking questions about Froch's uh, credentials 
at yeah. world level now. He's been exposed by Andre Ward. He's not good enough to fight him. Yeah. And now I didn't know this, but Andre Ward seemingly ducked Butte. Mm. And now Frotch is like saying, all right, well, I'll, I'll give it you. And I think it's the fifth round. He just couldn't. I mean, he got knocked. He got stopped by the ref. He took some heavy punches, if I remember rightly. But yeah, yeah. But but it was just from day one, from the minute the bell rung, this was Carl Frotch's night. He was incredible. He had something to prove, and he mm. walked through him. And and this is the, the the fascinating thing about boxing is that it it really you can't look back at previous fights and assess the next. You you have an idea about what a boxer does well and what another boxer perhaps doesn't. But you don't know until they get in a ring what's going to happen. And if you're fighting at the levels they're fighting at, anything can happen. You know, Ward was all wrong for Frotch because of the way Ward fights and how intelligent he is. Butte and then later Kessler were perfect for him because they were willing to come forward and engage. They weren't Mm. interested in navigating the fight and the nuances of what was coming forward. They were like, all right, let's come in and have a ruck, especially Kessler. So it's... um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, uh, it was an incredible, incredible evening and it was fantastic to, to, to watch even it on, on a small screen. And I've seen it back a few times since. And uh, yeah, man, he, he, he was back. Yeah, yeah, he was. It was a brilliant performance. If I remember rightly, I think this was in my heyday of reading all the boxing magazines. I used to buy them in WH Smith and then read them on the train on the way home. And I'm pretty sure Boxing News picked Butte to win by decision. Um, and he just completely destroyed Butte. And there's that thing, there's that famous clip of Eddie Hearn running in the ring before the referees even waved <laughs> yeah, it off. Yeah, I remember that. Could have got disqualified, could have got Frotch disqualified there, really. But uh, yeah, he didn't manage to just slope out of there before the referee spots him, kind of thing. He got up, and, didn't he, and then stopped it? No, he, he, he bludgeoned him against the ropes. I don't remember, I don't think he actually went down. But I think the referee, he jumped in and he did the little wave with his hands. That's like right. Like when you're stopping a fight. But I think what the referee was saying was the ropes are holding him up. Stop boxing. And so it's a knockdown because the ropes are holding him up. So yeah. Frotch thinks he's won because of the hand motion he did. Eddie Hearn thinks he's won. I think everybody thought he's won. Yeah, and I he did. He did the little wave and then he, he counted on the ropes and then he's looked at him. He's thought, you know, you actually fucked and yeah. just waved it off. <laughs> he just waved it off and it was a, yeah, it was a, it was the right stoppage at the right time, even if it did take him a few, a few too many seconds to, to get to it. But it was a brilliant way to come back and it just shows, you know, with Frotch that every time you perhaps thought, all right, you know, maybe you're not that great, you know, after losing to Kesley, he beats Arthur Abraham and then he loses to Andre Ward and then he beats Lucy and Butte. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, he, he then, he, he beat Yusef Mack. I think Yusef Mack was his mandatory. Mm. Um, and then it was the second Mikhail Kessler fight, which I know you wanted to talk about. Well, just because um, I went to I went to the O2 and watched it. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. And uh, it was it was quality. Like I'd, I'd been to big fights before. I've only ever, to my shame, actually, I've ever been to major boxing fights, big ones, O2. Um, I've been out to MEN a couple of times. Um, and this... Watching an absolute ding dong, a toe off mm. in the middle of the ring is something I hadn't seen before. I saw Khan right. Barrera, um, uh, which were different fights, and you know it, it was it was exciting, but it wasn't like this. And the atmosphere inside mm. the O2 was incredible. And like you know, boxing crowd, they're a certain yeah. breed, and certainly yeah. there are a lot of people in there that are not really in it for the technical aspect, they just want to see two men beat the shit out of each other while they shovel copious amounts of cocaine up their nose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 
it, it was it was brilliant it was it was you know when you're at home and and you're you're watching a great fight and you're off your sofa and you're like come on and you're chairing and you, and, you, and you're ducking your head's moving instinctively when you're watching a fight I really miss that um, I was there I was live watching an absolute fucking brilliantly brutal fight where you had two people who had complete respect for each other uh, just go at it for twelve rounds. It yeah. was brilliant. It was it was it was so good. It was so good just to just just to just be able to witness that and and um, and then be there and feel the energy inside the the, the venue as well because everybody was up. Everyone was like, and the cheers that, that both fighters got before, like as it ended, they I think they embraced and they held up each other's hands. They knew what they'd been involved in. Everyone in the crowd had witnessed. It's one of the few times I've, I haven't seen it kicked off at kick off at boxing. Kicked off afterwards. Right. Um, yeah. Outside in the in the gangways and shit, it went off there as it always does. But yeah, but inside the venue, the, the fight was what kept everyone, and and it was just brilliant. The the, the cheers and, and the, the volume, it was it was it was memorable. It was like this is what boxing can be like all the time. I, I wouldn't go anywhere else. Uh, but obviously, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it doesn't light, and, and it just doesn't light. And yeah. Um, you know, Kessa walked out of there like a hero and Frotch did and, and he got the right decision, although it was an incredible fight. Uh yeah. And retribution from from losing in in um in, in the previous fight in uh, Norway. Yeah, yeah, in Denmark. Um Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, same thing. Yeah, I mean I literally can't tell the difference between Danish people and Norwegian people. And that's not racist because they're, yeah, they're they're, they're about as white yeah. as you can get and you can't yeah. be racist to white people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah no i remember watching it i watched it at home um probably wanted kesler to win by then um i was deep in my frotch hate but and i remember convincing myself towards the end of the 12th round that hey, kesler had hurt him uh, i was like he's hurt him he's hurt him that <laughs> I, I actually i actually sometimes you see something that nobody else has seen because it doesn't fucking exist yeah yeah but you um, want it to <laughs> and I, i'd convince myself in a trap round like, he's done him and uh i actually that happened to me when i was at the mayweather maidana fight in vegas and i I'd, i was it wasn't a good thing i thought mayweather was hurt badly in the last round but he wasn't it was fine and um what was yeah, you feeling I'm, at that moment cal Oh shit! The bed. I was shit in the bed all day. You'd gone all the way over to Las yeah. Vegas to watch your all hero the way fight. To Vegas to watch my hero exactly. And that was such. Was that the what one? Did you watch? Great fight. What one did you watch the first? First one. Farhak. So you. That, that was about as close as he's ever been pushed. Oh my god! Like <laughs> that must like, have been hell for you. The De La Hoya fight. Yeah, it's closer yeah. than the De La Hoya fight. It's closer than the Lucky Hatton fight. The De La Hoya fight wasn't even. It weren't even that close. Like as we talked about on that previous podcast, didn't we? Yeah, it's not. At all. It's like for Mayweather, it was the Maidana fight and the Castillo fight. Yes, those yeah. were the closest. Everyone else was fucking eight rounds. To and four. Emmanuel Augustus, just let's just Emmanuel right. Augustus. Yeah, Emmanuel Augustus gave him fits, and Floyd just landed a lucky shot. Um, exactly, stopped him badly. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I remember just watching watching the Kesler fight. It was a cracking fight. They were both really respectful to each other. Um, mostly beforehand, I think Carl Frotz said at one point in the final press conference that he wanted to kill him or he something like that. Something about death. Yeah. It was something about killing Kesler. But I think he was it was close to weigh in. He, he needed some sugar and he was he just said something stupid. I remember him saying something about wanting to kill him. <laughs> um, but yeah, he beat him and yeah, they both had massive respect for each other. Frotch won the WBA, retained his IBF. Um, and that set us up for perhaps the defining point of, of Frotch's career. And I want to ask you a question afterwards, but let's quickly talk about the George Groves fights. 
the George Groves fight, George was his mandatory. He was his mandatory challenger. That's why he got the fight. Yeah. Groves spoke a lot in the build-up. I'm going to walk into the center of the ring and I'm going to hit you with two right hands. Um, and then he did so. What? What's your memories of the first fight? Well, I'm um, along with David Hay. You know, in his early part of his career, George Groves mm-hmm. is my—he's my guy. Like he's the—he's the boxer that if anyone said who's your favorite boxer, it would have been like you know, in terms of who you're watching. Like Manuel yeah. Russell is my favorite boxer, but and uh, and Blair Cobbs now. But the yeah. the, the uh, George Groves was—I I watched him for such a long time. Mm. I saw his very very his first few fights because I was watching Hay. I knew that this kid George Groves was um, under Haymaker, he, yeah. so he was fighting underneath Hay's fights, I think. And uh, I was just watching him. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, and a lot of people were talking about his jab as as a as a as a novice pro. They were talking about how incredible his jab is, and and um, Booth was saying that he has a world class jab, and it's he's three fights in. And he did. His jab was brilliant. It was always brilliant. It was like a rod. And um, anyway, I, I was invested in his career. I, I followed it all the way up, and um, I, I was I was willing to forgive George Groves all of the petty antics and the way he riled up uh, Froch because I didn't really like it either. Again, like I, I've said it before, but I don't really don't enjoy it when they bring fighters together beforehand and coax them into insulting each other. I don't like it. Yeah. I think yeah. this is a it's a, a, a sport that's it's so dangerous and and it's almost it's gimmicky and yeah you know it's okay to a certain extent. But there was a bit where he got in in the build up to the fight where he got under Froch's skin and you could see Froch was all over the place like mentally. Yeah. And it, it came across as George Groves was bullying him and yeah. um and for for a for a you know uh, what was he nineteen nineteen and zero when yeah. when he fought him uh, for to, for him to be to to use that tactic and it's come across as a, like a bit of a schoolyard bully even though you're fighting you're, you're up against somebody's hard as nails he got under mm-hmm. his skin and even when Froch was getting emotional he he was like oh you're gonna cry you're gonna cry and it's like listen to a five year old talk but. I was willing to oversee that because I was so invested in his 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 um the fact that he wanted to you know I wanted to see him win. Yeah. And uh, when the fight started, uh, and he knocks him down with exactly how he said he was going to. Yeah. Yeah. I was up. I was screaming. I was watching it at my brother's house again, and I was screaming like Spurs had just scored, like Lucas yeah. Mora. Against Ajax, it was that level of <laughs> elation. I was like, he's done him. He said what he's going to do, and he's gone yeah. in and done it. He's like fucking yeah. Floyd Mayweather predicting, or, or Ali predicting the round. It was it was incredible. Yeah. And then he just got up. <laughs> yeah, he that got was up, it. He got up, and that was it. And, and, and look, the fight was very close, and George grows more than he, um, he, he held his own, and he was clearly at that level, right? Yeah. But he wasn't quite at Froch's level, and he's what you'd seen Froch do previously. That tenacity, that will, that drive, that that willingness to get hurt and 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 shrug it off, meant that the fight was starting to turn. And I mean, what did you think of the stoppage? I remember, in terms of the first round, I I, li- I live in an annex, and my brother used to live in, in another annex next to me. And he was a box. He is a boxing fan, and he was a Carl Froch fan. But 
before he's a boxing fan, he's a fan of the women. And he's on a sp- has been and continues to be on a spree of women. Um, <laughs> and he was deep in that spree at the time. And he said the next morning after the first knockdown, he goes, I knew something had happened because I heard you scream, have that you cunt. Yeah when he knocked him down because I did fucking scream because I love George just like you. And I really didn't dislike Carl Froch, but in terms of the stoppage, I remember I couldn't sleep that night. I could not sleep. Do you know what? It, you've made a football analogy and I'll make another one. It's like being three nil up, watching your team being three nil up and getting pegged back and losing the, losing the game. Four, three, yeah. It was, yeah, it was, he, the, the stoppage was wrong. It was a bad stoppage. It was far too early. The criteria for me when you're stopping a fight is, are they throwing back and are they defending themselves? And I think he was doing both. He was slipping shots and he was throwing back. Yes. But he was in trouble yes. and he was tired. And I think he was going to get stopped. Yes. If not that round, the next round, he was going to get stopped. Yes. Because like I said at the start of the podcast, Carl Froch is a fantastic athlete. He has a brilliant engine. He doesn't gas in fights. He rarely gets hurt and he does not gas. And he was he was come he was getting his second wind. He'd, he'd ridden out the, the he'd ridden out the you know the tough spots of the early the ba- the thing about that first fight. Look at look at Carl Froch in the corner before the first bell. He does this big <gasps> this big exhale, and it was because of all that stuff pre fight. He was shitting the, He was so nervous. He was what, so nervous. Not just that, that he's probably fight. struggling to control his emotions, which is yeah. such a key thing. Yeah, if you go out emotional, emotional, you're going to forget the game plan. You'll forget technique, and you'll start throwing shots because you want to hurt the other person. And um, Graves had clearly got into his head. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, psychology is a massive part of it. But you, I agree. You agree with me on the stoppage. You agree I, with me on the stoppage, Flav? I do. I, I I think that if he hadn't stopped it, then he would have got stopped later, and there wouldn't have been any controversy about it, and he wouldn't have got the second fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So while he still might have got the second fight just because of the start he made, but oh, man, I think the controversy. You, you get what if he got banged out, it would have been got, like it doesn't matter. I, I don't think he would have got one. But I think he it was dropped a con- him heavy, and well, the first six rounds, Groves completely dominated. Well, why did six round Taylor was... get a fight for being splattered despite dominating yeah. every minute beforehand? Yeah. I, I don't think he did. I think the the stoppage being controversial meant that it gave. It gave oh yeah, it gave it made uh, the second fight what it was grows leverage and uh and he said look you didn't i don't you didn't beat me the referee stopped it and yeah. and, and he had a fair argument even it doesn't matter what that is in boxing you can't tell what's going to happen you've seen fighters being all out and land a flush punch and knock the guy out cold so you don't know what would happen so it was unfair to stop it but but if you've watched enough boxing you probably would i mean most people would assume that Frotch would have gone and knocked him knocked him out um and then that was you know second fight was conclusive yeah, in the the sec- way, I think the I mean, second fight, horrible, absolute horrible uh, ending. Yeah, and I, I, you know, second fight. Remember thinking, "Oh, Groves are beating this time. Groves will decision him and have a better game plan." Because I was a massive Groves fan, I was completely blinkered. But I didn't factor in the because Carfoch was thirty-seven during that second fight, which I did not realise he was thirty-seven. That's yeah. fucking old. That Even old. super middleweight is pretty old for a boxer. Um, it's very rare that someone at 37 years age is still at the top of the the top of the their 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 sport, mm. and he was. And the second fight, I remember thinking, "Oh, Groves will beat in this time." He'll maybe some more body shots. I remember thinking he needed to throw more body shots in the first fight to slow him down. Um, 
and I just thought, oh, you know, it, it'll decision him this time. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But the thing for me about the second fight, and I always compare it to the Callum Smith fight with Groves, he was forced to work at a pace that he wasn't comfortable at. And even though Callum Smith fight, same with the Carl Frotch second fight, he was winning rounds or competing in rounds, but he was being forced to work when he wasn't comfortable and he was boxing the other guy's fight. It comes back and gets you later on, doesn't it? Yeah, and you look at Groves' best performances is when he's been able to box at his own pace. Well, I wonder look- what would have happened. I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't had that split with um, Adam Booth. I think he might have beat Frotch in the first fight. Definitely the first fight. Because, it, yeah, he didn't have the guidance. Like, Paddy Fitzpatrick knows much more about boxing than I ever will, right? But yeah. but he, he, he need, his ego allowed him to, to go into a situation where he really didn't have any guidance. And yeah. that is... Uh, you know, you admire it from George Groves and like we said in the previous podcast that he did go his own way and a lot of that haymaker mm. camp and Adam Booth as well went their own way but he could have had a wise head on his shoulders there or sort of wise head behind him just to say, look, this is how you beat this guy and Adam Booth probably had those credentials if they, I still don't know how they, why they fell out I'd imagine it was about money but, you know, it, or, or ego but I feel like you might have had a better shot because he done really yeah. well in both fights. Yeah, I think so. Or if you know Shane McGuigan just happened to be a trainer at that time, it was was the trainer he is now. He would have got him through that first fight as well. He just needed calming down after that sixth round because he hit he hit Frotch with everything in that sixth round, and Frotch wasn't going anywhere. And he needed to just be calmed down after that and just say, right, get on your jab now, get on your bike, and just just put rounds in the bank because you can outbox this guy. And yeah. he just yeah he just couldn't. And in the second fight, Frotch had seen it. That was probably the worst start he ever could have made, that first fight. And he just thought, right, I'm going to carry on from round nine in the first fight. And I'm going to push you back because I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I've got better engine than you. I've got better chin than you. And I've got pretty good pop as well. And he just he's just too tough, too tough for, for Groves. And as big a fan as I am of Groves, he wasn't tough. He wasn't. He didn't have a great chin. And he wasn't a guy that could stand up to pressure, really. No, I mean, um, it was, yeah, I mean, yeah. That, you're right. You're as much right. as I love Groves, yeah. and I really love him. It was three years, it was actually a couple of days ago, it was three-year anniversary of him winning the world title. Um, and I celebrated, I went up with Alex to watch that fight ringside, and me and him screamed like Spurs had just won the Champions League. It was, <laughs> it was yeah, we were in the media section, and we were supposed to be behaving ourselves, but we paid our money, and so we just, yeah, we were screaming. Absolutely like, never, ever in a dull fight, ever. It made every oh, fight brilliant. fascinating. Yeah. Oh, this isn't about him, though, is it? It's no, it's not. It's about Carl Froch. Let's. We've covered his career now. His career's over. He beats George Groves, knocks him out. Wembley Stadium seals the chapter. It's now about legacy now, Flav. Let's talk. Uh, where do you think? Okay, compare him to Joe Calzaghe, who had the better career. Oh, fucking hell! Uh, I've got another one as well. So yeah, uh, get used to it. Got another question. Uh, who had the better career or who was better? Who had the better career? We've already spoken about man for man who would win. Yeah. Now, who had the better career? I think it's quite easy. Kawasaki. I think it's Frotch, you know. I think other than those, you know, the Hopkins, the Hopkins win aged really well. Kesler win was really good. But other than that, what is there? Really? There's not much there. When you look at Frotch between... Jean Pascal 
and the end of his career, it's Pascal, Jermaine Taylor, Andre Durrell, Mikel Kessler, Arthur Abraham, Glenn Johnson, Andre Ward, Lucien Butte, Kessler, Groves, Groves. Yeah, but are we remember? Are we not remembering his career correctly because we weren't really following boxing back then? Uh, I possibly, but you know, I think if you look at Joe Calzaghe, it's not amazing. He doesn't have. He just doesn't have the wins. There's no one, you know. He beat Robin Reed in a really, really close decision. I've got to be, but I don't know, mate. I don't know. There's I don't. No, I just trust me. There's no one there. <laughs> okay, there's fair no enough. one. That, there's I, don't, I don't know. I can't say enough about. I yeah. don't know enough about it to answer that question. I, I, okay. I, I'll answer it wrong. I, I, I've got I, another one. Just, I've got another one. You know, but if you said Kawasaki got, was he forty-seven and oh or 40, 46? 46, I think. Never lost. Do you know I mean, okay. So, how about how about this one? Because I asked this on Twitter about five years ago, and it came up on my time hop. I don't know if you've got that app, time hop. Yeah. It came up on my time hop the other day, where I asked a question on Twitter: Who had the better career, Carl Froch or Ricky Hatton? Froch. Mm, yeah, I mean it's, it's a tough one though, isn't it? Because Ricky Hatton fought, you know, Manny Pacquiao for a better, but he lost both. And he lost both handily. He's got battered. Uh, yeah, he lo- yeah. I was being polite, but yeah, he got smashed up. The the Manny Pacquiao fight was, yeah. Well, me and Alex are going to do a Ricky Hatton pod, so I won't say much now. Okay, one last question. I asked a question. I asked this question of T the other day. It was quite fun. Um, I think I was talking to T about um, the fighters around. You know, you, you spoke earlier about middleweights and super middleweights, and we have a rich history of that. Yeah. And fighters like Frotch and Groves and, and DeGale and everyone else, Callum Smith, they always get compared to Eubank and Ben and all of that lot. How do uh, you think, I'm going to ask the question, same question I asked T the other day, um, comparing Frotch, Groves and DeGale against Eubank, Ben and Michael Watson. I mean, what do you think do- is the better class, if you like? Um, the, the better, much better class is Eubank, Ben, and Watson. Mm-hmm, okay, but mate, the gal wouldn't even be able to sniff their 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 <laughs> shorts. The talk of the gal fighting any of them is ludicrous. <laughs> what ben think... would have done to the gal would have absolutely decapitated him. Yeah. Eubank, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't be able to. He would have been like being hit by a child for for Eubank. The amount of punishment he took, and Watson was probably the best boxer out of all of them. So. Um, I I think only Frotch would have been able to stand up in that in that yeah. you know, in those three. If you had Calzaghe in there, that's a different that's a different yeah. Uh, that's yeah yeah question. But I don't like Fro- Groves isn't an he's not an elite super no. super middleweight. He's great. He's just domestically should be considered you know in the conversation maybe top ten. But he's not he's not he's not. He's not. No, I, I get your point. He's not yeah. on level. He's, he's certainly no. not on Ben and Eubanks level. I think there is a there is a there is a degree of, and then you've got people like James Tony on top of that. We was better than all of them. Yeah, and uh, you know, and uh, Jones Junior as well. I um, mm. I uh, yeah, I I just think that, that, that with time, time passes, and the, the longer time passes, the more romantically you remember fighters. But yes. in spite of that, despite of that, I, I I think um, I don't think there's a conversation to be had. If there was a, as a if there was a triple threat with three on three, yeah, in and you had Ben, you you had Ben Eubank and Watson on one side of that, 
that three and and the the ones you mentioned on on the other side that there is no chance like Frotch would be the last one standing but he'd get filled in as well yeah I, I think I we myself and T did agree that that Frotch was uh Frotch's levels you know he was he's the one that you'd think would compete with with Ben and Eubank oh, and uh, Frotch and Frotch and Ben would have been would have been some That'd be a cracking fight. Absolutely. I think Frotch might have done him, to be honest. Really, really. Yeah, I, think I don't Frotch know. Nigel Ben's like, I love him. Uh, yeah, I think Watson would have caused would have, would have given Frotch kittens, mm. and uh, Eubank would have been great as well because he loved it. But I just think Eubank was a a better boxer than much better boxer than Frotch. Uh, but that would have been interesting. The Groves and De Gaulle shouldn't even be in the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was just, especially it, like I can't even it's a you, similar you're time. mentioning the the cow. What I mean, <laughs> what is this about? You're you're on teasing infatuation with such an average middle of the road fighter. When he got battered twice, battered, absolutely <laughs> spread like marmalade by Groves twice. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, I I think if if Groves and Degal would have fought again, I think Groves would have stopped him. Um, but yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, it's just it's just an interest. I think, like I said. I think you're right. I think we look back to Ben and Eubank, or perhaps not we, but I think the boxing community looks back to Ben and Eubank and Watson with some rose-tinted glasses Especially on. what would happen, what happened with Watson. and Yeah. There was a lot of stuff happening at the time. You know, McClellan as well. I mean, he he would have been, if he, would have been, if he hadn't been so badly hurt by Ben, he would have been, mm. um, he would have been up there as well. So it was, a, it was an elite time where fighters were fighting each other in a round-robin mm. style. Um, and it was great. Only James Tony didn't really. I know. Do you remember the interview where James? <laughs> yeah, he just mugged them both off. Said he was going to smash they them. Both. Yeah, and he just they couldn't handle him. He couldn't really understand what he was saying, but he couldn't nah. handle him either. Anyway, yeah, I is. Uh, I think you should remember that that period fondly. There's been lots of periods like past that, mm. and and they've tried to recreate that. Yes. That that that, that yes. triumvirate or or the quad of fighters that yeah like you, I remember like Eddie Hearn had a good go at it with the middleweights with Murray yeah um, Darren Barker that was what started the conversation with T it was Murray Barker Andy Lee Macklin and Andy Lee yeah and no, I mean, none of those four that isn't a thing that's not an era that's just four no. fighters that fought at the same time and none of them fucking fought each other <laughs> I know I really like them all I like them all like, I really like Martin Murray's the only one I could give a shit about really but. The other three, I like the way they talk, and they're very. And I've actually met Darren Barker in a pub in Camden once, and he was so yeah. lovely. Um, but yeah, that wasn't an era of boxing. I mean, it was an era, but not one we should talk about very long. No, no. no. All okay. right, I've got to go and cook some dinner. Yeah, okay. All right, it's a good way to end. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks, bud. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.